You're listening to Tabletop and Beyond, Guild 9 Gaming Podcast, covering board games to war games and beyond. Hello everyone and welcome to Tabletop and Beyond. I am your host, Justin, and I'm here with my buddies, Jason and Dan. What's up? Howdy, howdy. All right, we've got a great episode for you this week. There's been a lot that's happened over the last couple weeks, and uh, we just want to kind of get into it. But uh, as always, we want to kick it off with our Geek Week. So Jason, why don't you lead us in? Uh, yeah, so uh, I my Geek Week again goes into another movie. Uh, I, with, I'm getting excited about the new Doom. Oh my gosh, I saw a gameplay trailer for it. And I, I wanted to cry like a little girl. Yeah, so Netflix has a Doom movie. <gasps> Doom Annihilation movie. Really? I will say this. It's not super awesome, but it was enough to satisfy my inner go- my inner Doom geek, for when sure. Did it, when did it come out? Um, I think it's been on there for like a month, maybe. Or not, okay, not, so, too, not too so long. It's, so it's relatively new. It's not like from like yeah. six and it's years a total, ago. It's a total like fan fan movie like they find dead bodies with id cards and like one of the id cards is john carmack right <laughs> and like another one's like black or or uh, like you know what's his name i can't say it ever say that name properly but there's bj blackwitz from the wolfenstein okay yeah so it's total like throwback to fan and like you know they've got the bfg in it and everything and uh you can't do a not... doom movie without the bfg no no and there's a chainsaw i mean it's just great it's it's not like you know triple A quality stuff, but it's it's a fun movie if you got some time. You really love the Doom franchise. Um, I felt like I was watching a video game for a little bit, so it was fun. You can't have Doom without a chainsaw. That's right. No, exactly. There's even a first person uh, view at some points of the game, which is kind of cool. That's sweet. That's sweet. Um, Dan, what about your Geek Week? Uh, pretty good. I ran, as you both know. You participated in my second episode of my. Three arc Star Wars, uh, Clone Wars, failed Padawans uh, trying to be recruited by the uh, burgeoning Empire campaign. Uh, so I promised everybody three episodes and three episodes only. And it's amazing what players like you will do to <laughs> derail every single possible planning I had done as a DM. For the record, uh, Dan was really pushing hard for us to become um, uh, inquisitors in training for the new Empire. Essentially pick up uh, just before where the Rebels TV series starts. And, um, I mean, we that was unknown to us at the time. And we had one dude in the party, Sean, Sean's character, who was uh, Wookiee who was probably the most light side sensitive mm-hmm. out of all of us. And he was like, I don't think so, guys. And it, it, he ended up becoming the one juror in, like, the 12 Angry Men movie, you know, <laughs> that, like, <laughs> that, like, like myself and another one of our buddies, we were all in. We were like, sign us up. We're, we're good to go. This Anakin guy, he's the, he is the rising star that we were ready to hitch our wagon behind. You know, I love it when you get these situations with DMs where it's like you have this encounter and then all right, that encounter is done. The guy says, all right, he pushes the button, the door to the right opens. Says, okay, just guys, you're free to go now. And then you guys stop and say, what's out that left door over there? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The DM's like, wait, what? No. There is no door there. uh, The left door doesn't matter. (laughs) 
<laughs> Don't look at the left door. No, we're going. There's something special. In there. <laughs> right. There must be loot. <laughs> no, it was great. And one of the one of the takeaways in general for our listeners is you have to let the dice help you tell the story. Yeah. You know, there were certain oh, die yeah. rolls at critical moments where everything changed, and you're just like, okay, well, the whole story's changing on this one die roll. And as a GM, if you're not willing to roll with the dice, quite literally, you know, get out of the business because it's way more fun. Otherwise, it's not a game. You're just forcing everybody through your puppet show narrative, and that's no fun. And I'd like to say, for the record, uh, in previous podcasts, and I think I even mentioned it here at one point, <laughs> it is almost impossible to kill a character in Star Wars. It's going to happen. Dan has gonna tried happen. and I has try, failed. I didn't try very hard la- the other night. I, I mean, try. you I wasn't trying that hard. Dan, you were about to have Anakin Skywalker come and murder Hobo, our entire party. Yeah. But Jason rolled two triumphs. Double triumph. Double triumph that allowed us to escape. You have to let the dice help you tell the story. And I did. I went along with it. I went, all right. Well, Which is what you're supposed to do, and I'm glad you did. And I think it just... Yeah, you did a great job. I think it thank just you. goes to show that you can't kill anybody in Star Wars. I, and it's going to happen. <laughs> it's going to happen. Next month, guys, there will be blood. I promise. <laughs> That's my geek week. That was good. That was good. Um, my geek week... Let's see. Um... Uh, you know what? I'm going to throw my Geek Week to a shout-out to Doom as well. It's actually... I, I mean, I've stumbled across this series before. It's on YouTube. Um, it's Girlfriend Reviews. If you guys haven't seen any of these, they are absolutely hilarious. If you were a video gamer, like you get, you got to check these out. In fact, and, and it came to my mind because I showed Jason one for Doom. And the end of it was hilarious when she's giving points to, uh, uh, like, Doom for how awesome it was. So, um, if you haven't checked out Girlfriend Reviews, go check it out. I thoroughly enjoy them. I'm a subscriber. I, I get them all the time and, and laugh heartily at, at them all. So I think that that review is, like, six months old, too. It is, too. It is. But, but I, it still, still holds. It's still fun. Oh, it's it's very funny, and and uh, they've done it for like you know Red Dead Redemption Two and The mm. Witcher, and I mean I've played all of these games, and her analysis of them all are extremely spot on. Her Bioshock one was fantastic, you know. <laughs> I like how that Doom review was supposed to be in Alien Isolation, but they were too scared to play it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like we want to kill the aliens. Instead yeah, like, of... let's go play another game. <laughs> It was awesome. It was awesome. Yeah, the Bioshock one that she does is great. Like it has a, a thing of like uh, big. It's just talking about the big daddies, you know. Yeah. And uh, uh, there's a cut scene where like this guy strikes one of the little sisters, you know, and she goes, "Sir," and then, and then like the big daddy shows up, and she's like, "Oh no." <laughs> You just gotta watch it. Yeah, it's fantastic. I've only fantastic. watched two or three of hers, and every single thing I've watched from her has been great. Yeah, very funny. So, uh, other than that, I've been modeling for my new orc army in Age of Sigmar, and just having a blast with it. So, getting my ogres built. Yeah, good times with that. So, um, all right. Um, what uh, what happened in the news this week, guys? You guys been paying attention? Yeah, it looks like Hasbro held its quarterly shareholders call to discuss fourth quarter 2019 and the future of the company. And their CEO, 
Brian Goldner was praising D&D and Magic the Gathering for propping up the whole damn company. Isn't that crazy? We're talking about Hasbro. Hasbro. Right? Like Like Star Wars, G.I. Joe, Transformers, and D&D that's propping up the company. So is that a good sign or a bad sign for Hasbro? That's well. It just goes to show that they know there's money in RPGs, and there's money in the brand, and there's money in gaming, and uh, that's a good thing. It, it, I think it's a good. It's a really good news. The CEO, you would think the CEO of Hasbro would be talking about, well, what's George Lucas coming out with next, or what's Lucasfilm doing next? Sorry, not yeah. George Lucas, but what's Disney doing? He's talking about D and D. That's crazy. It's crazy. Bringing back good Saturday morning D and D cartoon. Oh yeah, <laughs> little kid well, variant. Gonna- I was going to say that I, I have a feeling that um, that you know with all the success that they've had in D and D, you know, I I know that they're talking about another Baldur's Gate game. I could be wrong about that. Really? Um, <laughs> maybe I'll have to look that up. But I heard that there's you know some D and D games you know coming out, um, and some things like that. Oh yeah, uh, Baldur's Gate three gameplay reveal. Yep. It will be revealed on February twenty cool. seventh. So Baldur's Gate three is coming out. So I mean, you're talking about you know, I mean, the D and D franchise is branching out not just tabletop, but it's exploding on tabletop. So that's I mean, good for them. Very cool. Yeah. Um, let's see what else we got. We got uh, the DC Universe. They have a new digital subscription service for comics and television related to comics. They're coming out with an RPG show. They've hired top tier talent to do it. They got Freddie Prince Jr., Sam Witwer, who you may know as the voice and as the digital uh, avatar of uh, the Force Unleashed video games, as well as he was in uh, he was the voice of Darth Maul in in Solo, and he's. His voice has been a lot of Star Wars stuff lately. Oh, interesting. So and, help me understand. Uh, is this a show of us watching people like pl- play, play it like a stream? Yeah. I think this is going to be one of those uh, RPG shows like, um, you know, like uh, Critical Role. So, okay. So I guess what I'm wondering is, is it going to be like that or is it going to be like a show of guys playing the game? Like when you would see like a uh, you know a um, Big Bang Theory where they're in the dungeon pl- or when they're in the basement playing. I think that's I think that's what it's going to be. Where they're acting as if they're playing the D and D game. Or no, I think it's live. It's live it's recorded real play. Okay, all right. Interesting. But, but they're going to use DC Hero system, and um, so it should I be mean, cool. here's my problem with this. Okay, you can get online for free and watch hundreds and hundreds of people playing RPG sessions. And, like, why would I pay a digital subscription to watch it again when I can yeah. go to Twitch or YouTube and just see tons of this material and content? Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're if you're a fan of watching celebrities play RPGs, which is a thing, I mean, I've paid for Harmon Quest before. That's the same thing. You know, mm-hmm. celebrities playing D&D okay. or playing Pathfinder. So that's the pull on this one is that it's a bunch of celebrities coming yeah. together to play. Claire okay. Grant, Xavier okay. Woods. They've got they've got cool people. These are cool people that understand gaming and and they have make money in in Hollywood. And they're fans. So I, so I think it's great. I I also look at it this way. 
I imagine that there's people that are already subscribed to this service, right? I don't know if this show's meant to draw in people and have them subscribe. I almost see it as like bonus content if you're already subscribed. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, their main customers are people that are trying to get access to DC Universe content. Right. There you go. Yeah. Yep. But they're throwing money at this, at, at pointing cameras at pe- people playing RPGs. Yeah. Cool. That's, uh, yeah, very cool. Interesting. All right, I'm going to guess that the next one um, that's on our list is from you, Jason. No, I put it on there for Jason. What? Oh, I yeah, put he put it on there. there. Yeah. Wow, Dan, for the win. Okay, Dan, take us away, All buddy. All right, the death metal band, the Black Dahlia Murder, announced a special pre-order version of their upcoming album, Verminous, will come with an RPG bundle. So you buy their album and you get like a 5E module that comes with some extra bennies, you know? So it sounds pretty cool. A dice and a DM screen and maps, character sheets, pretty cool. Wow. 500 copies uh and it was already it's already sold out. It's sold out. I I wonder if Rob Schwab got one of those. <laughs> Maybe. He's, our, uh, he's he's posted about Black Dahlia Murder before. Yeah, I mean they're a pretty good band. Um, they're not one of my go tos, uh, but uh, I could see that he's. I don't know. I mean, I'm not gonna speak for him. Um, and it's a good band, and he's into the extreme metal, so possibly, yeah. So for our listeners who don't know who we just referenced, it's uh, Robert Robert Schwab. He is the creator of the Shadow of the Demon Lord role playing games. He's done a bunch of. Um, Writing, he helped uh, write for D and D Five E. He's done a bunch of supplements for them as well. Um, he's just uh, in the gaming industry. He's known as kind of a dark and twisted fantasy kind of guy. Um, and uh, yeah, he's totally into death metal. If you follow him on Facebook, so the Verminous so. single um, is available on like YouTube Music oh, right now. And I I took I checked it out and it was actually pretty good. Like it was a good listen. I enjoyed it. If you're into that kind of stuff, but. Uh, it's pretty. It's got pretty heavy, uh, pretty heavy riffs. I really enjoyed it, actually. Thinking about you know rolling dice at the same time that I was listening to it. Nice, right? And and, and that's what they. That was the advertisement, which was, hey, listen, play this music while you you know while you're playing the game. And I think that's great. I think there's lots of creative types out there that have more exposure to RPGs than you'd think. Um, I know one of the band members of Fallout Boy is a big RPG guy, and and um, we've talked about some of the actors on this po- on this episode on previous episodes. But other creatives get, are into it too, so good for them. I think it's yeah. I mean, I think you'll see that a lot of times. Like uh, you know, you'll talk about um, you know a lot of like band people who you're like, oh, you know, such and such guy in a band, and he'd talk about, like, you know, when he was uh, playing D&D in his basement with his friends in the 80s, you know, and being accused of being Satan worshippers, and that kind of just pushed them to rebel in their music a little bit, you know? I mean, like, you hear about it all the time, right? So, it's kind of interesting. It's becoming more mainstream, I guess. This kind of reminded me a little bit of... um little tongue-in-cheek right when wendy's released their tabletop rpg oh yeah <laughs> where you go in and like fight the characters in mcdonald's but not really mcdonald's but mcdonald's <laughs> never frozen beef destroy <laughs> the freeze monster the freeze dude it was cool i mean this is different but uh it just yeah. reminded me of like when these two things like two parts of entertainment are like crossing over you know not for like a big thing but just kind of a little crossover for fun 
I just I think somebody in the Wendy's advertising department is a secret huge nerd and was like, hey, let's do this. And somebody's <laughs> like, it, it felt like a whole intern project. You're like, hey, let's get a bunch of interns together, you know, that are happen to be hardcore gamers and do something because, you know, they never had a lunchbox with any of that stuff. It seemed yeah. like a one time thing. But uh, yeah, I went to Wendy's like right after that came out. So they made, you know, seven bucks off of me. Yeah, man. <laughs> Then you get like you got bonus XP if you like were eating Wendy's while you were playing it or something. <laughs> I think it says much. that in the rule books. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Maybe and, and maybe next Gen Con we'll do it. <laughs> and if go. if they ever got accused of being nerds, like their social media account would tamp that down yep. right away. <laughs> they have a uh, pretty awesome social media account. Yeah. Whoever runs that is uh, <laughs> on fire. So, yeah. Uh, Dan, while we're talking about news, why don't you lead us into our main topic a little bit, um, which is kind of getting into some of the FFG stuff. So we talked about this in episode one, but we're circling back to it a bit. I mean, it, it there's been like developments. There's been new developments. <laughs> oh, word's gotten out that FFG is getting out of RPGs completely, and they fired their entire RPG staff. And, you know, for those, you know, um, you know, because they've had a lot of great licenses, you know, Star Wars license and others in their in their wheelhouse. It's it's kind of been a bit of a bit of a shock um, that they would do this. It's it's um, and, and and you have to peel back the onion. It looks like either the holding company of Asmo Day is trying to. Uh, sell off Asmodee or Asmodee is trying to sell off FFG and they're trying to turn off any of their um, product lines that aren't meeting certain, you know, financial targets, which is really too bad because all the products that have come out of that, that, that whole department are just, all of them are so high quality. But of course, Christian Peterson, who founded that company, left. And so our main topic tonight is what do some of these what happens to some of these companies that just don't have enough momentum like a Wizards of the Coast or um, you know some of these other larger companies that can keep things going year after year if there's like one kind of creative kind of steady hand you know willing to take bets and you know and willing to you know to push quality product out what happens when that guy goes? I mean, he sold he sold FFG to Asmodee, and as soon as that happened, things have been going downhill really, really, really fast. Mm-hmm. And so, guess what? We play these games, and we get hooked on them, and they're born, and they live, and they die in, in one incarnation on another, even if they go from one edition to another. But most of them just straight up belly up die. And the companies that publish them die too. So how does that happen, and... How do we wrap our brains around that in the hobby? So let's um, maybe maybe before we get into kind of like the rise and fall of some of these gaming companies and what are what are some things that we see from gaming companies that, that do that? Like um, what are some that come to mind? Like what are some of the bigger names that you feel like have have come and gone maybe? You know, uh, West End Games had big properties too. I mentioned Star Wars. They had Ghostbusters. I think they had Indiana Jones. You know, for some reason they, you know, and their all their games are super popular, but they too went, they couldn't keep it together long term, and they went belly up. 
And Western games was really big, what, 80s, 90s? 80s, yeah, the 80s, yeah. 80s and late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. And, they, you know, they had paranoia. They were a real a real force in the industry, and, and they just they, they fizzled out. And a lot of it just comes down to, you know, if you're not putting out compelling content, if you just keep recycling the same thing over and over and over again. I mean, they kept putting it. You see this with a lot of companies where they just keep republishing the same stat blocks and different combinations of books. Yeah. You know, over and over and over again, and you look at your library and you're like, okay, well, I have a stat block for that vehicle in six books. Well, then why do I have the six books? But right. I think the, the, the biggest, the biggest belly up of all time was TSR was dying, and and uh, Wizards of the Coast bought them out. Like that, that is the biggest story in the gaming industry of a company that should have still be a juggernaut today. We should be talking about Hasbro. Buying out TSR, not Magic, not not Wizards of the Coast buying TSR. Um, you know what happened to D and D and the their other historical game lines that they had to, to to put their backs against the wall back in the day to where they needed to be bought out. So so before we can talk about like you know why certain games fall, we should probably talk about like what makes them great in the first place. Like how do they rise up? so well because i think that that i mean unfortunately sometimes that success seeds the roots of the fall right um so what like if you look at western games or or ffg like what was it about those that made them so popular that, that made them kind of like you know um kind of meteoric rise within the gaming community well a strong IP is very, very helpful. Even if you're not, you know, cribbing off of Hollywood, you look at what, you know, FASA did with Shadowrun. They came up with their own IP that was just really, really compelling. So compelling mm -hmm. IP is really key. Either you're getting it from Hollywood or you're making it up yourself. You know, and some IPs just are not that interesting. So you've, mm -hmm. you've got to tap into something. It's like, okay, how do you explain Shadowrun in one sentence? Oh, it's fantasy plus cy cyberpunk. Done. Oh, okay. Right. So elves, elves that can go into cyberspace. Wow. Okay, I'm there. And yeah. you've got to have a game that is uh, accessible and and gets enough buzz and people start playing it and you, you have to build up momentum. Mm -hmm. So the IP has to be good. You have to capture their imagination and the games just have to be fun. And capturing imagination sometimes comes down to quality. You look at FFG, you look at the what they spend on artwork in every book. I mean, they just, every page has got beautiful, beautiful artwork and art design in it. And the, the whole purpose of that is to carry the, the high quality of the films into the book. Yeah. And so you feel like you're part of that universe. Um, West End Games could never really do that. They only published in black and white. In, in almost every case, a, a color printing was just too far out, out of it. And, you know, line drawings can only do so much after a while. So, I, I you know, you've got to, the, the games have to be fun. People have to want to play them. The rules have to be, um, you know, uh, strong enough that they you can pick up and have fun playing it the first time and then carry you through how long a, a campaign can go. 
Right. Th- th- that's kind of my, in my, that's my two cents on how to, how to make an RPG work. You know, it's interesting because um, I know that Jason and our friend Dan um, Flinton ended up reviewing a game on YouTube. Um, it was the um, Doctor, Doctor Who? Who board game. Yeah. Right? Dalek board game, yeah. Yeah, and I remember our verge was, yeah, this is a pretty fun game. Um, it clearly is marketed to Doctor Who fans, right? Like, I don't know if I would pick up this game and be like, oh, I love this game so much, and it just happens to be Doctor Who. I'm buying the game because it's Doctor Who, right? Not um, not necessarily because it was, like, a super compelling game that... Um, you know, it felt like it could have been any game, and they just skinned it with Doctor Who, because that that would work. You and know, skinning yep. can be useful if you do it right, and if you know what trade offs to make in the game to make the skinning work. Mm-hmm. But if you're just like, well, you know, we came up with a game mechanic, and now we're now it's a pony game, or now it's you know, now it's Wendy's. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so. A couple things you listed, right? Strong IP, good game with good game mechanics, right? Um, it needs to be compelling. It probably needs some good word of mouth and a good like following to sort of... You need those early adopters to really get out in front of the community and really push it forward, right? And l- um, let's not forget that D&D was a ho- largely based on uh, Lord of the Rings, and they had to keep pulling all the Lord of the Rings stuff out of it so they wouldn't get sued. So there's there's a pretty heavy duty IP behind D and D to be to be to be frank. Right. Right. Yeah. Well the- and that kind of goes to the content. Um I think another thing that's gotta keep these games on the rise is they have to be continually producing content. And this is a this is a what's wonderful about RPGs can also be uh, you know detrimental to their downfall if they're not maintained because once you buy the rule book you got everything you need you know and the rpg industry is full of homebrew uh material so it's like if you're not continuing to push out new settings new campaigns you know new content for classes new you know rule system addendums to the rules and, and those kind of things then I have no incentive to continue to put money in your company because I have the three books that I need and I can play games for five years with those three books. Right. Or 50 years, quite frankly. Yeah. Right. So let's take a look at a company like Games Workshop or Magic the Gathering, right? And what sort of their model is. I know it's not an RPG, but um, it they could have followed the same sort of line, which is, you know, we're going to give you a book and then maybe a couple of supplements here and there. But against Workshop, I mean, they completely overhaul, you know, their stuff with new additions every, I don't know, four or five years or whatever. And it's new and it's fresh. I mean, they went from Warhammer Fantasy um, and kind of completely got rid of that. And they turned that into the Warhammer Age of Sigmar. And um, there's a lot of people who hated it and walked away from the game. But there's a lot of people who've been coming back because it's gotten a lot better, right, in their um, subsequent editions. And so it's interesting because they're always coming out. Jason, how often do they come out with like a new army or a new book or something like that? I, f- I feel like it's quarterly now. Yeah, I don't know at if least. it's that often, but it feels like it's that often. 
every um, few months they've got a new battle tome for an upgrade to a battle tome that's been you know a couple years old yeah and so what that does is it ends up refreshing an army that people may have on their shelf and they haven't played in a while and they want to get back into it or they're like hey i've always wanted to play those guys but man that army just kind of sucked so but now i can get into it you know now i'm interested in it um and so you've got people who I, I see people in the game who are just cycling through different armies as these new things come out and they're still engaged in the community. And, and also, you know, and it ties in with Wizards of the Coast and Magic the Gathering is there that the company is continually paying attention to monitoring the way the game's being played, monitoring the balance of the game, and they're right. updating rules, they're putting out facts, uh, erratas. Um, they're changing tournament play, you know, what cards are available in tournament play, what are not available anymore. Um, Watching combos. Yeah, exactly. Broken rule sets. It's, yeah, mm-hmm. and that's in it addition. Exactly, and that's in addition to the new cards and the new models that are being released. So yeah. they're make they're tr- they're keeping everyone who's already invested. They're keeping your invest trying to keep your investments relative. Uh, uh, not relative. Um, Relevant. Yeah, thank you. Relevant, at least for a period of time that allows you to feel like you're getting your money's worth out of what out of mm-hmm. that amount that you put in. Yeah, it makes me wonder about D and D, for example, um, with the Critical Role that has come out um, because of that game specifically. How many subclasses have they been releasing for this uh, game? Like, I know that I know that. Um, Matthew Mercer is putting out his book that has all these subclasses in it. But I know that specifically there was a bunch of kind of quote-unquote playtest subclasses online that you could download, like the Gunslinger um, subclass, and there was a couple of other uh, different combo subclasses that you could download online and use those in your characters that were not meant to be totally game-breaking, but that gave you a different feel of play, and, and those were kind of being updated regularly. Um, and a lot of it was because of the uh, reaction to some of the new content that was coming out for D&D 5e. Yeah, I, I think what D&D 5e did, did different than all the other, the last several versions, was to uh, go away from the splat book where you focus on one class uh-huh. and put out really just very, very strong adventures and very strong setting books. Because we were all used to, okay, well, I can't wait for the such and such book to come out because then I'm going to get all the talents and feet that I need to mid-max myself into oblivion, right? Right. Well, it, they just never did it. They just kept coming out with these adventures and these adventures and these adventures. And, you know, the rule supplement books have been kind of few and far between um, because they basically figured out that it's the adventure that is, is, is what matters, you know, and if you mm-hmm. give the GM better tools to make the game more fun, then more people play it. And I think that that that's how they've and because in the other models where everybody was like, oh, if I can pull out this one weird little talent out of this one book and then this one feed out of this one book, I can totally make an impossible character. That became the fun was to collect all the books and to, to organize your character in a way that the, the GM would you drive the GM insane, and they flipped the model, which I think is really good. And and it wasn't what I was expecting when I first uh, played the game in 2014. You know, it's it's interesting because if you look at a lot of the adventure books, like they're meant to be a campaign done in a year, 
right? And then the next year, oh, wow, a new adventure book comes out that's going to last you 20-some sessions or 15 sessions or whatever it is, depending on how fast you go, you know? Um, and there's always plot hooks in here to continue the adventure with some homebrew stuff to last you the rest of the year, and then you can start on a new adventure from the, you know, the... Um, the next book that comes out. So uh, I think you're, I think you're totally correct in that they are now focusing on, I mean, they came out with their player's guide, DM's guide, the monster manual. They've had a couple of other sort of rules that are more like stat block books and lore than anything. Um, not really rules per se, um, but it's been adventures, right? Adventures to do that. So I think, I think they're hitting the sweet spot with people because, um, not everybody's ready to, you know, create a homebrew campaign that's going to last three years and they've got it every single month. Uh, but it's a it lot of work. It accessible. It's a ton yeah. of work. It is. So I, I, I want to ask a question cause you guys are, you know, you're very knowledgeable when it comes to the RPGs for FFG and specifically Genesis, right? I mean, Genesis is it, they said they took their story dice and kind of a rules-based system on that, a foundation for creating, you know, kind of homebrew uh, settings. Released it in a book, so anyone can get the book, they can get the dice, and they have the tool set to do it. And th this is fairly recent, right? I mean, it's, what, a year old-ish? A couple years, yeah. maybe? Genesis, Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and then we have this announcement, and so it's like, man, we're just we're not going to get much more support with it. So, my wife and I were talking about this, wondering, you know, it, like, what is the I? What do you think the rights are going to be for stuff like Genesis and Android and the Star Wars? The Star Wars, maybe let's not talk about that because it's a little bit bit of a bigger thing, but. Uh, when people want to create and potentially sell content that they're making in the future after FFG has, you know, pushed it outside of what they're doing. So there's there's the Foundry system and you, right. they have a terms of service where you're allowed to use elements from Android, you're allowed to use elements from Terranoth, and you need to use the style guide and you can post what you want and they get a percentage of everything you make, right? Mm -hmm. So it is possible that the company would um, keep that going just because it just creates cash. But who knows how right. much cash it actually creates? And, and and I have no idea. I have no clue whether it's real money or not real money. Yeah. Because if they can't, it's got to like, you have to have an employee keep an eye, eye on exactly. that stuff all the yep. time. So it's yeah. got to be making one human being salary plus X percent on top of that for it to right. be a profitable line. I was just gonna say that, like, what happens in three or four years when they say we're not, we're no longer supporting this content, and someone decides to put out a big old thing? Like, are they gonna go after that guy? Like, would they ever go after that guy? You know what I mean? Well, be it, like, hey, bro, that's our IP type thing. I'm pretty sure FFG can revoke the terms of service, right? So you, they can shut the foundry down whenever they want, and sure. so it's unknown whether the foundry is is gonna continue or or not continue. I would say it probably won't, um, because if uh, if they're really if Asmodee sees itself as a board game company and not as an RPG company, and they don't want to compete with Wizards of the Coast, they're not going to compete. They're just going to take their stuff and go home. And why bother? Yeah. So I guess to pull on Justin's 
statement there. Like so, and I think I think that's a good analysis there, um, for the limited information we have right now. But let's say that you know, FFG shuts down Foundry. A couple years go by, and they're just you know we're done. We're 100 percent board game company, and somebody who's been working for a while re- releases a giant Genesis supplement uh, for a price. Is that like what do you think is going to happen with that? Do you think Asmodee is going to come after them to say, "Hey, that's RIP," or do you? And I'm just wondering, what do you think? You know, well, not legally, what could they do? But what you do can't, you think you, the they won't be able to do? put it on Drive Through RPG unless they uh, go with the terms of service. And so, you've got to do the Foundry terms of service. And if if uh, Drive Through RPG is not going to host any content anymore. Uh, but but I don't know. I mean, once it's dead and dead, you know, that's a really good point. Uh, you know, gamers have been putting stuff out all the time. Yeah. But the the question is, is where can you put it out? You can't put yeah. it out. You, you won't be able to put it out in the marketplace where everybody's used to buying that stuff on Drive Through RPG. Well, I don't know. I mean, uh, there's Kickstarter. There's all sorts of ways to sell. I mean, anyone can do a Kickstarter and then pull up a web page to sell it themselves. I think. I'm going to do a Kickstarter for a Genesis <laughs> supplement. Careful. <laughs> Whoa. Exactly. It's provocative. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Especially, I mean, in our in our connected day and age, like, that, I, that's a good point. Um, Drive-Thru RPG, which is a big host, and the, the sister sites for that, they may, you know, not allow that content. But in today's internet world, there's so many other places you could just say, all right, I'm not using drive-thru RPG, and still and still get your information out to the mass. I there guess could, the question is not there, necessarily why isn't there like an, question. An, an Etsy not a dis- for RPG? That's what I want to know. What did you say? A, why isn't there like an Etsy for RPG? <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. mean, I guess that's what that's what yeah. kind of uh, isn't that what drive-thru RPG is? Sort of. It's it's kind of the roll your own and post it and it was it was but once you start making real money then the lawyer starts sniffing yeah it's true that's true it's true yeah we should make it we should make etsy rpg.com we you got go. it it's ours rpg rpg etsy we, we will not get sued for that rpg etsy rpg etsy there we go <laughs> we'll, change, um, we'll change the g to a j and somehow make it work so uh all right so We've hit on, you know, kind of like what, what you know, having a strong RP, having a good game content, um, you know, maintaining them is what kind of maintains your companies. But what are some warning signs that maybe your beloved gaming company is falling on hard times? Aside from literally reading an article about they've fallen on hard times. It really comes down to when you have a lack of vision. Okay. When the, the key visionary, like when the designer goes away or the, the guy who had paid the great designer goes away, those are, those are big red flags for my money. So uh, keep an eye on the industry and keep an eye on who's writing what. And once you, see peop- once you see rats leaving a sinking ship, you know they're not being taken care of and you yeah. know that they... They have to pay their rent too, and they have to feed their families. So you know that's usually a really bad sign. You know it's interesting because um, I have been prepping the Ro- a Rogue Trader campaign for our little group after you get done with your Star Wars one, 
and FFG used to own that, the rights to that one as well. Um, in fact, they did the Dark Heresy, they did a whole Rogue Trader thing, and I think it was 2017, I'd have to look it up. They had but, that one for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it was 2017 that Cubicle 7 ended up picking it up. Mm-hmm. And Cubicle 7 is the one that um, they do, they've got the Lord of the Rings um, RPG stuff. For now. Um, for now, exactly. They got the Lord of the Rings one. They've got um, all the Warhammer franchise, and I think they've got another one. I'd have to look up. But the point, my point being, is that um, they ended up. Uh, oh, they had the One Ring. They got the One Ring from um, Fantasy Flight Games as well. So uh, it looks like they've picked up a lot of the RPGs that uh, that they were kind of offloading. So these licenses, the way they're, the way they work is that the license holder is trying to just maximize profit. Right. So when you get a company that says, Hey, we're going to maximize profit by, you know, doing a lavish job. You, we're going to do the best thing and everybody's going to be amazed at the quality. So I think that's how Christian Peterson got a hold of so many great IPs for a while. Cause he had this demonstrated track record of quality, 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 quality. And then after a period of time, when the, when you have a venture capital company that comes in and says, I don't care about quality. I, I want to see this. I don't care about great art. I want to mm-hmm. see great commerce. That's when you, you, you really got to buckle up. Um, so, uh, you know, you, you follow the money. You know, if the guy who has the money cares about great art, great. If the guy who doesn't, uh, if the guy with the money doesn't care, or, you know, they just look at how much money D and D's making, and they go, "How come we're not getting a bigger slice of the pie?" Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, like, I, I'm looking at some of the other products that Cubicle Seven had, has picked up: uh, Doctor Who, Adventures in Time and Space. Um, I mean, you're looking at a lot of FFG stuff, which is interesting because, I mean, the, the big moneymaker for FFG was Star Wars, hands down. That's probably the IP that was floating the entire ship. Mainly X-Wing, the miniatures battle game. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mainly X-Wing. Point. X-Wing was... So when they value that company, they've got to factor in X-Wing and Legion and Armada and figure out, okay, the current company owns this license. They can sell the license if they have a provision to do that in their contract. Uh-huh. And that factors into um, the net worth of the company. Gotcha. Yeah. I so, think the FFG one was a little was a little trickier. Like someone like <clears throat> you know you Dan, who's who pays you know kind of really close attention to the the content creators at a company, can kind of start to watch. <clears throat> excuse me, and see like the writing on the wall. But to someone who's just like you know, plays the games, doesn't really pay attention necessarily to the content creators and the teams that do that necessarily. Like the FFG announcement probably was like a, a blindside to the face. Like, wait, what? I mean, we, they, we've been making books and content and Legion just came out and like, what, what happened? What went wrong? You know, because it just, it's the company was still seemed like it was making progress on its IP that it owned. Yeah, and they could be zeroing in to just do miniatures for the IP. Yep. Uh, or other or, or similar board game type stuff. Um, but I, I, I don't know. It, it, we're all just reading the tea leaves. But 
It's, yeah. It doesn't feel good. I mean, when they when Disney gave them the license, they were a big deal and they were really up and coming and they were gobbling up IPs left and right. So, but and so you <coughs> just got to keep. I, I don't know. Do you have to keep an idea on that? I mean, I I got worried about FFG when. The guy that designed the RPG was also the guy who designed X-Wing, and he left the company to go teach. And he's a really good guy, but I was like, well, I know he's handed these good games off to some smart uh-huh. guys, but they were not the... The guys. They were they, they were not the initial creator. Um, they, they were great caretakers, but they they were not the creative force that, that made it all happen. Mm-hmm. The, the Steve Jobs effect, huh? Well, you know, you guys talk about Rob Schwab all the time. I mean, here's a guy who who knows what his market's interested in and can put out compelling content. I mean, I never thought I'd be really enjoying, you know, horror games. But guess what? Shadows of the Demon Lord is really fun. And it's not even my genre. And I, I really enjoy it. So here's a creative guy who knows how to put together compelling content. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, if you look at his stuff, in, interesting thing about Rob Schwab, and, and maybe we'll do a game review on him, is he's a prolific content uh, producer. Oh, my gosh. I yeah. mean, he's putting out stuff every other week, and his supplements are like $2, right? I mean, it's it doesn't break the bank if you're interested in it to pick up a PDF for $2 and use it to run your next game, uh, you know? So um, the the issue I think with that one is it's a very niche game you know it hasn't expanded like some of some of these other ones um, but you know some of some of the fall things that I think is interesting is um, maybe you know Dan you were talking about creators leaving or you know the guy who made it left what about the companies that sell is that a sign that that you know maybe some troubled waters are ahead for that for that IP or that game that you love. Yeah, I mean, you, you got to re- once it once the game becomes a commodity and not an experience, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you got a real problem. I mean, you got to look at the guys who put together Fifth Edition, and they're like, "We are, we hold the flame of D and D. Every version of D and D, all the good ones and the bad ones combined, and whatever we do with Fifth Edition needs to feel the spirit of it." They weren't saying. We know everybody likes to min-max their uh, paladins, so let's get a let's get some books out that helps them do that. They were like, this has to feel right as a creative endeavor. And guess what? The venture capital guys don't get that. They don't understand the art form. They're there to make a buck because that's what venture companies do. And and I don't fault them for that. But um, you you look like a, look at a guy like Monty Cook. You look at Kickstarter. Look how. Look how Kickstarter yeah. and certain creative people can be a match made in heaven, and um, I, I'd pay pay close attention to stuff like that. It's it's uh, those are going to be a very different experience. The stuff that's handcrafted and made for by gamers for gamers, it, uh, and everybody everybody's going to have a different experience around their own tabletop with their own friends and what they're what they're into. And what you have to put your money into is what you think is going to maximize the best possible experience. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great point. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I think that when you start seeing kind of, you know, some, some wholesale changes, you know, the interesting thing is that, 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 um, Jason kind of made the point of your average gamer's not paying attention to any of this stuff, right? 
they're just like getting the new supplements and they're getting the Genesis book and they're like, oh wow, this is really awesome. This is going to be great. I've got some campaigns planned out. And then next thing you know, they start hearing the news. Oh, FFG RPG is folding. And they're like, whoa, whoa, what? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. like yeah. what happened? You know, and so if you if you want to kind of be up in the know of like what's what's going on, um, you gotta kind of pay attention to some of these companies. Follow them on Twitter. You gotta follow their news releases, or you know, find out gaming rooms. Listen to this podcast, for example. Yeah, um, with our uh, Dan P expert here. <laughs> That's well, right. And the problem is, is the books go out of print, and then they become hard to find, and then they become mm-hmm. more expensive. They become collector's items, and that's that's the thing that gets under my skin. Like, I'll be honest, I I I needed to round out my collection today. So, <laughs> oh, that's right, to, you you bought a bunch of stuff today, didn't you? Yeah, I had to I had to I had to dig around to make sure I got everything that I wanted. Um, there you because go. Because yep. mo- my favorite suppliers were all out of stock, and I don't expect them to get restocked anytime soon. Yeah, I think that um, you know, there's. I would say 30, maybe 20 years ago even, there was always a worry, well, if this small company that makes this cool game folds, um, you know, we're never going to be able to get access to that info anymore. I think with RPGs, that's, in terms of having the content so that you can always play the system, I think that's going away with the fact that, like, almost every RPG is available digitally now. And so there will always be the PDF that you could play from in the future. But it's like what you were talking about, Dan, where... You know the collector's item, having the physical book, like those, those are going to go away, and those are going to be hard to get your hands on here in the future. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and, and there's a there's a the, the bright side is is the the game that's on your shelf is your game forever. Yep. And you can create new content, and the sky's the limit. So there, there there's a silver lining here. And if if you're looking at if, if you look at a certain RPG that's come out with a very heavy-duty core rule book and four or five supplements you've got a lot of gas in the tank for years and years to come i i, I it always blows me away at gen con to see the guys that are still playing what, what is that group that gets together and plays all the super old versions of all the D um oh yeah yeah, yeah. i don't uh, remember what their names their, are their but names yeah. escape me but i always walk by that room and go you know good for those guys because yeah they've always it, got their own room there it, what matters is the game. It, it doesn't matter, you know, what's on the bookshelf. It matters, you know. I used to buy RPGs at Borders all the time and at Barnes and Noble, and now that <laughs> stuff's really hard to find. At, on and, and, and there's no more Borders, and Barnes and Noble doesn't carry everything that I want. Yeah, man. That I picked up my th- 3.5 uh, E player's guide from Borders. And this is why Target's now selling. D and D starter sets. God bless them. Yeah. God <laughs> bless them. They're doing the Lord's work. That's right. <laughs> well, we will keep apprised of the FFG situation and let you know anything else that we hear. But you know, until that comes, if there's a game you love, support it as best you can, and uh, suck it up while it's still there, so that you've got <laughs> it on your in your collection. You know, um, don't let it walk away. So. Uh, thanks for joining us this week. We appreciate everybody who's listening, and um, feel free to give us uh, uh, feel free to give us some um, feedback and comments. So yeah, look forward to hearing from you. All right, see you guys. Take care. Thank you.